Welcome to Profiles. Welcome to Profiles. A monthly podcast featuring industry disruptors. Tune in to hear the stories of people who weren't afraid to dream big, take chances, and shake things up. Hello and welcome to Promo Quarter's podcast, Profiles, where we'll be talking with industry disruptors to get their take on the world of promotional products and how they're shaking it up. I'm your host, Steve Woodburn, and we appreciate your taking time out of your busy day to schedule time with us. Our guest today is Jason Lukash, who, along with co-founder Michael Simzak, were inspired to create an eco-friendly portable speaker in 2009 that was truly a game-changer. They named the company Oreg Audio, and I asked Jason what it takes to turn an idea into a multi-million dollar business. Thick skin, blood, sweat, and tears, tons of tears. Um, but no, honestly, like, I think it's like a, you have to be able to take risks and gamble. Like I, I love to gamble. I love to roll the dice, literally play craps and bet on sports. And I love gambling as an entrepreneur. You, you do that every day. You bet on yourself, you bet on product development, or you bet on like, look, not every product we ever made at Oregon, it was a home run. We had some severe flops, um, that people just don't remember, but you know, everyone remembers the hits. No one remembers the flops, but you have to be able to bet on yourself. You have to persevere. You have to put in the work and look in the early days, we were working hundred hours a week, not paying ourselves living off of peanut butter and jelly. If you watch our like shark tank episode, they literally capture that. Like I slept on Mike's <laughs> Craigslist cocaine couch in Chicago. It, it was for free. It looked like a total eighties couch. Like I have no idea what happened on this couch, but I slept on it multiple times. Like we, that's what we did. Like when you started, you, you had to take risks and bet on yourself. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's how you're most successful. Like you keep reinvesting in yourself. A lot of people live lifestyle businesses where they take profits to support their lifestyle. We, paid ourselves like super modest salaries and we kept reinvesting and buying more inventory to keep the snowball getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's why I think we were successful and we put in the work and the most important part, we hired amazing people. And I feel like a lot of people say this and it's like, we had such a great team. Like, honestly, like without our team, we wouldn't have done literally anything. We had people that were willing to run through walls for us. And I always, we hired on personality, right? Like we would ask very different questions in interviews. Like I could honestly care less about someone's resume. We would hire for cultural fit first and foremost. And if that person was a good cultural fit, we would find a job for them or figure out we would hire them for one job. If they weren't good at it, we would keep that person in the building, but create a new job for them. And like our crew at Oregadio made us spectacular. And like people still to this day, like remember the people, the account managers they had like 10 years ago and like, yeah, we empowered the people to make good informed decisions and we had an amazing team. So again, sorry, long winded answer, but blood, sweat and tears, people, people process procedures. Jason and Mike were working and traveling endlessly for Jansport, a global maker of backpacks, and were tired of toting around big speakers that needed big batteries to listen to their music. So they created the fold and play cardboard speaker based on the Japanese art of origami, which literally means folded paper. I was doing some sourcing and I was traveling a lot for my old job. And, uh, I said to Mike one day, I was like, you know, we when we're traveling for events. We're bringing these big like speakers with us that ran on D cell batteries and we're kind of a pain in the ass to travel with. And 
uh, you know, we like to listen to music. I was like, why weren't there speakers that were developed that were really, really thin that you could, you know, pop up and utilize when you wanted to listen to music that didn't take up a lot of room in your suitcase or your backpack, or whatever. So we developed the world's first ever folding speaker that uh, was played off the Japanese art of origami, uh, which is where the name origami comes from. It's a lot of people still to this day call it orange audio, like original audio, but it's actually origami, like the origami of audio. Just four months after their August 2009 launch, their speaker was named one of Time Magazine's 50 Best Inventions of the Year. Their business quickly grew from 10 orders a day to 1,000 a day as they worked feverishly to keep up with the demand. The duo appeared on Season 2 of Shark Tank, and in 2012, Lou Cash was named Entrepreneur Magazine's Emerging Entrepreneur of the Year. They continued to develop more and more products, with retail being their bread and butter but in 2013 decided to put all of their efforts into the promotional products world. When Oregon started, we were retail first and foremost, and we did some promo. Um, we were in, uh, I think, 7,500 stores across the country, um, Urban Outfitters, Costco, big box retailers, Bed Bath & Beyond. Bed Bath & Beyond, by the way, is still the worst retailer I've ever worked with to this day. I hope they go out of business. Um, side, side note, uh, but... Uh, in 2013, uh, we did a little promo, right. From, uh, from the inception of 09 to 13. Um, and then the promo industry was really, really good versus retail. We were like, you know, fighting for shelf space, competing with beats by Dre and Sony and all these massive companies. But promo was pretty cool because we were like the cool, colorful fish that swims by a couple of times. And like the, the small fish bowl, we're like, what fish is that? Um, versus in retail, we were the colorful fish in a sea full of sharks, no pun intended. Um, and we said in 13, let's, let's pivot this business. Let's focus on promo. And then we grew astronomically. In the next five years, the company grew from 3 million in annual promo sales to 30 million. And the partners decided it was time to cash out. So we, you know, almost 10 X the business in a period of five years. And then when we sold to HBG in uh, September of 2018, we, it was the right time. We had literally all of our poker chips in front of us. We were super profitable. We ran a really lean operation. We, um, and we did things completely different. We you know, were the fastest growing supplier for five years in a row in the promo sector. And I like to think we changed the way the sector went to market, but it was time to sell because, uh, we had all our chips. Uh, the goal for the business wasn't to run it for perpetuity. It was to, you know, sell it, um, and be, be part of something bigger. We picked HPG because we, uh, would have the opportunity to leave our same mark that we left on the industry, but with more firepower behind us. So HPG wasn't HPG at the time. I, I created the name HPG. Um, I ran an in-house agency at HPG. I was our chief development officer. I did M&A, innovation, marketing, creative, product development, a bunch of different stuff. Uh, instead of being part of a 100-person company that I ran at Oreg, I was part of an 1,100-person company at HPG, and I had private equity backing and more capital to do more cool stuff within the industry. So that's why I wanted to sell to, to do and challenge myself to uh, accomplishing a new task. Jason became the chief development officer with HPG, the eighth largest supplier in our industry, where he stayed for four years. Did some really cool stuff there, created Batch and Bodega, created HPG, <laughs> rebranded Hub Pen to Hub, rebranded Web to Mixi, did some amazing stuff there, um, had 
an even better team that I built and ran this agency in here in the Bay Area. Uh, we had about 25 people in there. Um, and that was super, super fun. I, the cool thing about working at HPG when I did it was I got to focus on what I really like to do versus how CEO of Origadio, I did stuff I didn't want to do. I, I was our de facto controller and CFO for nine years. I uh, ran HR, like all the stuff you have to do as a business owner versus a HPG. I just got to focus on the creativity, which is kind of like my special sauce um, and innovation. So that was, it was awesome, but you know, all good things come to an end. I decided I didn't want to do that anymore in February of this year. I have two little girls want to be a stay at home dad, house flipper. Uh, I, I have a lot of little side things I do that accompany 40 hours a week worth of work. Um, but mostly first and foremost being a stay at home dad with my wife. Cause I lived out of a suitcase. I traveled about 175,000 miles a year for 10 years straight. Uh, I was in Asia almost every other month. I, I've flown close to 2 million miles on United. Um, and I've obviously flown other airlines too, but just from being gone for so long, uh, I wanted to be there for my kids. So what's next for Jason, who admits he wouldn't have to work another day in his life after the Origadio sale, but loves the challenge of creating something new. But I've spent the last couple months evaluating what the next move is for me. I really still like the promo industry. I think there's a lot of uh, revolutionary stuff that still has to happen because the industry is still backwards in many ways. It's progressed dramatically over the last 10 years, but it needs to progress even quicker over the next three years in order to survive. Look, we, we launched in 2009 during a pretty bad recession and no one knows what the economic uncertainty for what's going to happen in the sector, but the sector still has the different silos that people play within suppliers, distributors, clients, and no one breaks those boundaries. I think that breakage needs to happen uh, because it's a segmented industry and segmented industries don't survive for long periods of time. So yeah, I, I've definitely spent some time figuring out what's next and I have a couple ideas and we'll see where they go. With few exceptions, the promo industry has had the same supplier, distributor, end user model for decades. Is it time for some changes? And is Jason the one to start that process? Everyone's scared to do it. So I think someone needs to do it. Like, there's no reason uh, distributors can't be suppliers, right? I think it's easier for a distributor to turn into a supplier than a supplier to turn into a distributor, right? Because distributors control the means of sale. There's no reason distributors can't start building inventory, right? And bringing in inventory and creating on-demand solutions to decorate inventory, right? Um, there's a couple of people that are doing that. Like Foreign Print's the biggest distributor, and they they don't really buy that much inventory. They decorate some in their facility. You know, I've seen it in Wisconsin, but like, why doesn't the biggest get even bigger and build their own inventory? Maybe they need people like me to figure out how to build it, right? But that's not a shameless plug for myself. It's just there's it's hard to build stuff, right? A lot of people don't know how to build stuff, right? Um, but I think those barriers need to be broken, right? Um, like my dad worked for Cisco Systems for 25 years, and Cisco Systems in the telecom industry is the same way. Like Cisco doesn't sell their VoIP phones or their routers directly; it's all sold through distributors because they do what they do best, which is make stuff. I think a supplier it'd be really hard for a supplier to figure out how to sell direct, directly to clients. They'd have to build a whole sales team, infrastructure, everything to support it. 
versus I think a I think if the industry was to be broken, distributors should become suppliers. So, and I hope that happens because I don't know. I, I hate segmentation, and I hopefully you agree, Steve. It's it's been done the same way, but someone needs to break that model. As Jason rightly notes, ours is a paranoid industry when it comes to trust between distributors and suppliers. It's a hundred percent paranoid. It's like people. Like I love distributors. I'm like best friends with distributors. Distributors are in my fantasy football league. They sleep in my house. Like it's friends for life. And that's why I like the industry the best. And I'll just talk about that for 30 seconds. Like it's a relationship industry. People buy from people they like. And that's why we did so well because we were likable dudes. Like I, I would go into meetings and be like, this is what I'm offering. Like you don't have to buy it. I don't care if you buy it or not, but like we make cool shit. If you want to sell cool shit and look cool, like buy from us. Right. And that was my model. And that's the way I've always kind of run and approach this industry and myself in general. The question is, why is it okay for distributors to go direct to manufacturers, but they freak out when suppliers go direct to end users? Here's the thing. And like, this is always the hot topic of discussion in this industry. It's okay for distributors to uh, go to Asia, to factories directly and source their own stuff and bring it in. But it's not okay for suppliers to go and sell. Like when we first started, we were like, we're going to sell it whoever the hell we want. Right. So we sold, I remember our first order, we sold 50,000 speakers directly to the Marines, right? Of our folding speaker. The Marines contacted us. They saw it on time list. They said, we want to use this for high school recruiting. I'm, okay. 50,000 speakers. I'll take that order. But then we said, you know, as we grew, we're like, we can't sell direct. We have to pick which lane we want to play in if we're going to grow in this promo sector. So let's pick the promo sector lane and then grow through distributors and have them do the selling for us. So that's what we picked and it worked really, really well, but like you have to pick a lane as a supplier, but as a distributor, you can merge lanes all you want. Since Jason left HPG, he's been keeping busy tackling interest outside the promo world, including house flipping multi-million dollar homes with his wife, coaching his daughter's soccer teams and becoming a volunteer sheriff. Say what? I became a volunteer police officer um, in Danville, California. So I do that uh, one to two nights a week, um, which is pretty fun. Uh, well, it's fun and it's like volunteer. It's cool. It's come back. My dad was a volunteer police officer in Danville for 15 years. And uh, his partner during the pandemic like stopped doing it. So uh, my dad always did Friday night like Friday nights in our town. And it's like super safe town, uh, 45,000 people town area. And just like, after hearing him kind of like, just be bummed, I emailed the chief of police and I was like, what would it take for me to be a volunteer? So I, uh, went through the sheriff's Academy, uh, background checks, all that type of jazz it took like nine months and I'm my dad's partner. So my dad and I cruised the town on Friday nights, breaking up high school parties, like 21 jump street. Um, super fun, uh, mostly just because I get to spend time with my pops, um, which is why I do it. The question on everyone's mind, though, is will Jason get back into our industry and do what he does best, disrupt things? I am very, very grateful. When I sold my company, I was in a financial position where I didn't have to work another day in my life. Um, but I chose to work at HBG because I liked trying to solve problems and complex problems and industry problems as I, I made it abundantly aware. Um, so yeah, I, I will jump back in the in industry when there's that great next great big problem to solve. And there's a shitload of problems. And if he does jump back in, will it be as an entrepreneur starting his own company or as an intrapreneur like he did at HPG? 
I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I, I am an entrepreneur or God, I was in my first business. I had a couple other gigs before that. Um, you know, college elementary school, right? Like the college business was actually pretty successful. I made like really good money in college. Um, it's a party serving and bartending company. Um, but anyways, side note, uh, yeah, I, I think maybe I will start something again, but also like, I liked being like an entrepreneur at HPG. I was an entrepreneur at Jansport too. Actually, I, when I interviewed for my job at Jansport, they wanted to be cool in the collegiate sector. Uh, they, Jansport was kind of known as like the school elementary backpack business. And in my interview, they're like, what would you do to be, make Jansport cool in the collegiate sector? So I pitched them an idea and then they hired me and gave me a budget to run with that idea. It was a college football tailgate tour and uh, event marketing and music festivals. I had, I had an amazing job at Jansport, by the way. I would do 14 college football games a year and then all the music festivals, uh, grassroots marketing, and then built out promotional. But I really liked being entrepreneurial there. And then even at HBG, fast forward, you know, <clears throat> 16 years later, I was entrepreneurial at HBG. Uh, Batch and Bodega didn't exist. I, I pitched that uh, I was on the board and I'm an investor in HBG. I pitched it to the other investors and board guys and everyone's like, this is cool. Let's do it. Here's some capital. Let's do it. So I got to create and build stuff from scratch. So either I would start something myself or work somewhere else where I had the opportunity to be entrepreneurial because innovation's best from like, I don't know. I don't have a good quote, but innovation's best from someone that knows what the hell they're doing. So I was going to say like innovation's best if it's created from within, but that sounds really bad. So, and don't edit this. That's like, that's how I am. I'm all over the place and don't have good quotes. So Jason's proud of the accolades he's received over the years, but even more so it was meaningful for him to provide opportunities for others. Having a team of a hundred people and like, feeding their families and edu like this is your like sob story answer. Like I remember like we would hire people that literally had like no education and like create jobs for them and uh, give them means of employment and like watch them progress from like literally, you know, like someone came in for like an assistant role for me and turned into a creative director. Someone came in to help on the overnight shift uh, for production and turn into like our director of operations for our whole facility over the seven years. Like it was cool to like, see and have amazing people and provide them career pivoting opportunities and wealth to support their families. Like that was pretty cool. And I'm like super proud of that. Jason's had a hand in creating well over 100 custom products. And out of all of those, what was his favorite project? This is probably one of my favorite projects. And this is so BDNA. This was in 2011. They, their client was Axe. It was like Axe body, body wash. And they're like, we want to make, body wash uh speakers we want to take your speakers and turn them into body wash i was like okay like we could do that uh your mold fee is going to be like literally fifty thousand dollars because it's a bottle and they're like well could you like figure out how to make them out of current bottles i was like what do you mean like empty bottles they're like well we have like pallets of bottles they're full of body gel can you turn those into speakers and i was like okay so they sent me some couple prototypes scored all the body gel out. And then I took like a CNC machine and like poked some holes and then dropped in our speakers, ran a wire out the back. And uh, I sent them a prototype that I made literally in, I was living in Gainesville, Florida. My wife was finishing her doctorate at university of Florida in my apartment that I just like made and sent it to her. And she's like, kind of loved it. We're going to order a thousand of them. And I was like, uh, okay. 
this is how much they're going to be. They're going to be, you know, $80 each or whatever. Like, okay, the client's willing to pay it. So they sent the pallet of full body gels from uh, Indianapolis. I remember this. Indianapolis to Shanghai, right? Because our speaker factory was there. I wasn't going to make them all in my apartment. I, I could have, but actually the profit would have been phenomenal. In China, for however long, like, it was probably the cleanest the, <laughs> the factory workers smelled in Shanghai for a while. Buckets of body gel. I saw pictures of all this. They poked holes, dropped in speakers, ran the wire out the back, made like kick-ass packaging, like the, went off without a hitch. And like crazy project. I've all, everyone always has their stories of like crazy projects they worked on. That was like probably one of the funnier ones. But like, again, BDA, cool agency, super creative. And like we were able to figure it out with a problem they had, which was, well, it wasn't really a problem. The only solution they had was literally a pallet full of full acts body gel so while attending a recent high school reunion he kept getting asked what he did and he would reply well i'm retired but no one understood how a 39 year old classmate could be retired based on that he says there is another chapter ahead but the question is where look i love creating innovating i like entrepreneurship i, I like business I lo- i'm a numbers person i love like finance um i learned more selling our business in the six month period of when we're selling our business and probably six years prior to that. Like it was super interesting. Like I love M and a, uh, love, uh, I loved it when I did HBG too, like buying and selling businesses and like financial analysis. Like I really liked that. If I didn't go into this, I probably would have like worked on wall street or been a day trader or something. I, I, I love like it's gambling. We talked about gambling earlier, but I love like just finance and numbers too. Um, I was a managerial economics major in college, which, uh, that doesn't really mean much, but I was um, at UC Davis. So I, I loved like e- economics and just, I don't know, bring out where to hedge your bets. So. Jason and Mike invested $10,000 to create Origadio and over the course of nine years, turned it into a $100 million business with $30 million of that total in promo alone. Our industry could use some disruption and Jason might just be the one to shake things up. Keep an eye out for him to jump back in with both feet. From all of us here at Promo Corner, thanks for listening to the new profiles. I'm Steve Woodburn, and we'll be back next month with stories of other disruptors in the promotional products world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Profiles. Tune in next month for another story of someone who wasn't afraid to dream big, take chances, or shake things up.